0: Section 10 of Recollections of Life in Ohio, from 1813 to 1840, by William Cooper Howells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Chapter 23. Failure of the New Farming Experiment. Removal to Wheeling. Author's efforts to learn the printing business. Schism in the Society of Friends. A Quaker Fight in Meeting, Hicksites and Orthodox, Six Cents Fine and Five Minutes in Prison, Employment with Alexander Campbell, Founder of the Sect of the Disciples, Rural Printing Office, The Author Starts a Magazine. After the routine of finding out the country and getting acquainted with the people, the life we led was decidedly monotonous few changes occurred in it. We went to town, that is, to the two villages of Moorfield and Freeport, went to meetings, and occasionally to distant places, though seldom. The farming operations were a failure here, because we were not expert farmers, and still worked with our rats of horses that stuck by us like any other affliction." The great matter was for us to be convinced of the failure and to acknowledge it. At last, we decided. Father engaged in the business of grading wool for buyers and was employed in Wheeling, Virginia. So we concluded to leave the farm, which was improved from what it was when we got it, but it could not be sold at once and had to be rented. Father found a tenant in a smooth-tongued Irishman, who agreed to pay a certain rent, and stipulated that he was to be allowed for repairs. At the end of the year, he had us in debt without paying any rent. Then father sold the place and wound up the affair. When we made up our minds to leave the country, father made arrangements to move into Wheeling. By the time the farming was wound up and settlements made, we were rather poor the family was large, and what was worse, there was no employment secured for any but father, and his compensation was not more than would suffice to find us in the barest necessaries of life. We did the best we could to find something to do that would lighten the burden. I had all along wanted to learn the printing business, but had found no opportunity Till now, I was twenty-one years old, or nearly so, and my age was an impediment. There was a contingent opening for a learner in the office of the Virginia Statesman, a new paper just begun in Wheeling, which had been engaged by a young fellow who was not certain to come. I took this place and set about the work with enthusiasm. My natural mechanical gift enabled me to take hold of the art very successfully, and perform any part of it readily and understandingly. But it required time to acquire the necessary speed at setting type. I was a little too late in beginning, and I was destined to disappointment in my work. The young man, who was my junior by three years, and thus had an advantage, came to take his place after I had begun. This made one too many in the office force and I had to give it up within the second month. Thus I was obliged to look after another situation, and for a time I had to be at home with nothing to do but the little assistance I could render father in handling wool. After the struggles of the first year, father did pretty well in wheeling, and when he sold the farm, he put the proceeds into a house and lot, which increased in value. There was a large and respectable society of Methodists in the town, and by means of these he found himself in a congenial atmosphere, and we had many pleasant acquaintances outside. The family lived in Wheeling till the autumn of 1834, when father bought a farm near Chillicothe and moved to it. Meanwhile, I was put to it to get a chance at printing. I had learned to set type slowly, and to work at press, but after I was superseded at the office of the Virginia Statesman, it was some time before I could find a place, and a dreary time it was for me. I went to Mount Pleasant, across in Ohio, where we had lived twelve years before, and where Elisha Bates, the leader at that time of the Orthodox Quakers, had a printing office. But his office was full, and at any rate he was doing little more than looking after his controversy with Elias Hicks. So this effort to get work failed. I found the place in a general ferment the day I was there. The yearly meeting of the Quakers was in session. The sect had not yet divided, and they had endeavored to ignore the fact that they were composed of two irreconcilable parties and go on together, each, however, striving for the ascendancy. When they came to organize the meeting by the election of a clerk, who is the presiding officer, and who really controls the proceedings, if he will, the two factions came into collision, and a strife ensued, which with any body but Quakers would have been a fight. Instead of striking, they gave vent to their passions, and sought to conquer by pushing and jamming each other as they pressed towards the clerk's table." with their respective candidates. In this way, some of them got pretty badly hurt, and Jonathan Taylor, the Bates or Orthodox candidate for clerk, was nearly killed by being jammed against and under the table. The accident broke up the meeting, and to this day it is not known which candidate was chosen. As soon as the antagonists got out of doors it was generally conceded that the prevailing frame of mind was not what became a meeting of friends. The Orthodox party decided that it was a riot, from which no one particularly dissented, and appealed to the civil law, complaining against the prominent Hicksites as rioters, and sued out warrants for them. The Hicksites and their friends pursued the true Quaker policy of keeping quiet, and out of the way when they saw an officer of the law in search of them. They knew the officers by sight and fought shy of all the world's people whom they did not know. The sheriff of the county had been sent for to make the arrests, but he could never get near them till the orthodox party adopted the stratagem of putting a shad-bellied coat and broad-brimmed hat upon him, under which deceptive appearance he nabbed five or six of the Hicksites, and with them a disreputable renegade Quaker, well known then as a manufacturer of vegetable toothache drops, the chief ingredient of which was muriatic acid, by the name of Thomas White. He was made very happy by the arrest, as it saved him many dollars in advertising. I think Bates had a purpose in the arrest of White, for all knew that he did not take part in the riot beyond shouting hurrah for jackson as from that time forward bates never wrote or spoke of the affair without naming two or three of the most respectable hicksites and adding thomas white and others the prisoners were all convicted of riot fined six cents each and imprisoned for five minutes After this farce, the Society of Friends were two societies. There were at that time but few printing offices in the country, and they employed but few hands. At the county towns there would be found one or two papers for the local business or the support of party interests. They were small affairs and conducted in a very primitive manner. The owner was mostly a printer by trade who edited his own sheet and was the chief workman upon it, often doing half of the work himself. Sometimes an office, that is, a press and a small quantity of type, would be got together by someone who had a mission of some kind, or wanted to enlighten the world in literature. There was an abundance of monthly magazines, and each one of them made about work for one, or at most, two men. This was the kind of printing office that Elisha Bates had. He had a mission of his own, and used a periodical to forward it, though the issue was not regular. At the same time, Alexander Campbell, the leader of the Disciple sect, was issuing a monthly that he called the Christian Baptist, and occasionally a volume of some kind. He had a handsome farm in the valley of Buffalo Creek, a stream that runs through Brook County in West Virginia and empties into the Ohio River at Wellsburg. His place was in a fertile but hilly region, 10 miles from Steubenville, 8 from Wellsburg, and 16 from Wheeling. In this out-of-the-way place, he had fitted up a printing office in a little frame box of a house just 16 feet square After I had sought for work till discouraged, I walked out to Campbell's place to see what the chance was there. I found the office on the bank of the creek, so near the water's edge that the pressman wet the paper for press work by dipping it directly into the stream, selecting a big stone to lay the paper board upon and another for the dry paper, while he stood half leg deep in the water, which gently played over his bare feet. The printing office, as I have said, was a single room, about sixteen feet square, unconnected with any other building, and it had in it two double-composing stands, a bank, and a hand-press. This made it pretty close quarters, and in the latter part of the summer I was there, when Mr. Campbell printed his debate with Owen, the little office overflowed, and they put up stands for three or four printers to set type out of doors under sheds. The pressman was a character in his way. He worked at press, set type, made verses, led in the Campbellite meetings, sang hymns and sentimental songs, and wrote letters to the postmasters of numerous villages or new towns to inquire if they did not want him to start a newspaper in the place, and if there was anybody so anxious as to advance the expenses of starting it on one occasion he wrote to sharon in pennsylvania a place he had no knowledge of but he was impressed with the aptness of rose of sharon as a title for a paper sometime after i first knew him on the strength of my acquaintance he came to wheeling and quartered himself at father's for several days with very little indication of ever going away. But one morning father disposed of the matter in a way that did credit to his humor, while it was effective. After breakfast he turned to his guest in a nonchalant way, saying, I suppose you will not be here when I return, so I wish you good-bye, and shook hands with him. He took the hint and left in the course of the morning. The printing office at Buffalo Creek was in the corner of a field, some distance from Campbell's own house, but near to one occupied by a tenant, where any transient printers boarded. As the tenant was of Mr. Campbell's then new church, or brotherhood, and as Mr. Young was a good-natured and poor man, and Mr. Campbell rich and sharp at a trade, these boarding accounts were a source of great discomfort between them, and a good deal of heart-burning, at least on Mr. Young's part, Whose only relief was found in complaining. Whatever opinion the people with whom Mr. Campbell came in contact away from home may have had of him, at home and among his neighbors he was regarded as greatly disposed to lord it over his poor and dependent friends. He was pretty hard in dealing, as I found out, and had little natural sympathy with those who had not or could not acquire a worldly competence. Still, his manner was amiable, and socially he was always accessible to the man who understood the conversational art of listening, especially if that man liked to hear Mr. Campbell talked of. I boarded with Mr. Young while I was there. Mr. C. took the amount of the board out of my wages, and Mr. Y. grumbled and said that was always the way." after many efforts to get a situation in some printing office where i could learn the business more thoroughly i was induced by my own vanity and the flattery of some with whom i was acquainted to start a monthly periodical it was the favorite way of doing then to set up a monthly sheet or little magazine of say sixteen pages to be filled with contributions and selections the country was full of them, such as they were. Every man who had a mission or hobby, or was beset with the idea that he had a call to literary work, would get together a few printing materials and start a monthly. This I did, and it is really wonderful how cheaply I set up a printing establishment. After issuing a prospectus and soliciting subscribers, and appointing agents in sundry places and authorizing all postmasters to act as agents, by the autumn of 1828 I was ready to issue the first number of The Gleaner, a monthly periodical devoted to literature and miscellaneous selections, price one dollar a year in advance. I do not remember now how many subscribers I had, but the list was very small while my hopes were large. There was no doubt in my mind that I could get along with such an enterprise, and I could really have managed to print it or edit it alone, but to do both and also manage its business so that I could live by it was more than I could do. Yet I did not see this. I pushed on and got out the first number, sure that the subscriptions would pour in, though they did not. I made a tolerably fair issue, using up a ream and a half of paper, which gave me an excess of copies for future subscribers. It was well spoken of, and sometimes praised, and received many kindly notices from the press, which in that day was not up to the present standard. I had, I may safely say, no money, though plenty of confidence, a quality that bankers turn into money but by very different appliances from what I used. Still, I succeeded in starting this paper better than I should do now, with all the experience of fifty years added. I got a hundred pounds of new bourgeois and a homemade press, a part of which I constructed. It was a clumsy affair, after the style of hand presses of that day, and made largely of wood. The cases and stands I made myself, as also I did a composing stick of iron, and it was not a very bad one. It was before composition rollers were introduced in that part of the country, and I followed the old fashion of making balls of buckskin stuffed with wool, wherewith to ink the type. As I had but a small font of type, I had to work the forms half sheet-wise, or eight pages at a time, I set the type, and when I had a form up, I worked it off and distributed it. I worked away in this manner till the year was nearly out, when I gave up the idea of keeping it going. Still, I had hope, and felt that success would come, and, though this was manifestly a failure, I thought if I had a larger sheet, and took more of the general features of a newspaper into my plan, it would prove a triumph finally. The gleaner was intended as a kind of ladies paper, and I thought the young people who had a taste for writing would support and contribute to it in the way of essays, verses, and the like. My sister Anne joined me in so far as to have her name appear as the editor, but though she felt anxious for me to succeed, she had no real interest in it of her own. Indeed, I should not have trusted myself to undertake it if I had been a proper judge of my own abilities. At all events, the gleaner went the way of gleaners, into the obscurity of the poor, and its memory excites but little pride in me. CHAPTER Twenty Four: STARTING A WEEKLY PAPER. DIFFICULTIES OF THE AUTHOR'S POSITION. ECLECTIC OBSERVER. A Visionary and His Book, The Author's Marriage, Removal to St. Clairsville, Early Married Life, The Whig Party Founded, The Author's Employer. Having got started in publishing, and having nothing else that I could turn to, I was the more easily tempted to try a weekly issue. At this time, I was beset with the idea that the world was on the eve of some great social, political, and civil revolution, in which the ills that flesh is heir to were all to be cured, and as I was not attached to any political party and belonged to no church, I was pretty well prepared to launch forth in a radical as well as independent journal. I was encouraged by a few who were making war upon certain forms of sectarianism in the church and by all who were dissatisfied with politics and the world in general. There was then in Wheeling quite a number of admirers of Robert Owen's system of social economy and his community at New Harmony in Indiana. These were very free to encourage me with an abundance of fair words, but very few dollars. I had but poor support for my enterprise when I began, and I ought not to have undertaken it. But my constant tempter, Hope, led me to risk the chance of better support as I progressed. But it did not come. I committed the grave mistake of addressing my efforts to the promotion of negative interests. Since I was of no church and no party, of course I failed to enlist anyone warmly in my behalf, beyond those who temporarily wanted some interest attacked and my fate was that of the bat in the fable who was not accepted by birds or beasts i had a consciousness of meaning well i had grit and strong hope and i pushed ahead accordingly i got some more type enlarged my plan and commenced a weekly issue of a sheet known then as super royal size twenty-two by twenty-eight inches square, which I called the Eclectic Observer. The paper was well received and well spoken of, but it lacked the sinews of war. I kept it going six months with great effort. I worked hard and spent no money foolishly, not even so foolishly as to buy clothes. I really went shabbily dressed and denied myself comforts of every kind. At the end of six months, I suspended the paper temporarily, as I announced, but, in fact, forever. I next used my printing materials on behalf of a visionary old gentleman of the name of William Mathers, who had taken it into his head that he had a mission to write a book, which was to cure the disorders of the world. He was a Presbyterian in his religious training, but what his exact belief was I don't think he knew— He was from the north of ireland but had been brought up in baltimore he had settled in ohio just before the state was organized but was of a restless turn and traveled a great deal over the then new territory of louisiana and illinois he was familiar with the prominent actors in the burr conspiracy and their movements as well as the transactions in the transfer of louisiana to the united states and familiar with the leading men of the new states. He was altogether a most interesting man to talk with when he made his experiences his subject. On other subjects, he was visionary and uncertain. He was ultra-democratic in his views, and ascribed all the woes men suffered to aristocracy, which he rather regarded as the Antichrist that was to unite with the Pope in getting the world ready for the general breakup before the millennium. His notions of society were communistic, and he was very severe on corporations and banks. I thought that he had money enough to pay for printing his book, which I found to be a mistake when he got it done. He called his book The Rise, Progress, and Downfall of Aristocracy, It was a queer compound of politics and theology in which things were mixed up in a most quixotic manner. Of his book he was sanguine beyond measure and was sure people would go mad after it and make him rich at once. I found that, compared with him in his hopefulness, I had the coldest of common sense. With his book closed my printing business in wheeling. I began the publication of the Gleaner in December 1828, and in December 1829, I began the issue of The Eclectic Observer, which was suspended in June 1830. I did a little work in various ways till Mr. Mathers got ready with his book late that fall. In January 1831, I became acquainted with Mary Dean, a young woman of the same worldly expectations as myself, "'but I loved her for the qualities that belonged to her "'and that I felt were valuable, "'and she returned my sentiment. "'The prospect for our getting married was not encouraging, "'but we thought that the printing of the book "'would put me in a position to warrant it, "'and we fixed on the time of its publication "'when Mr. Mathers was to be in funds. "'We were, accordingly, married on the 10th of July "'in the year 1831.' The book was got out in a few days after and put upon the market. It brought in nothing, and Mathers failed directly after, leaving me sans everything. We had then to make the best of it. The world was all before us, for we were emphatically a long way behind. I had to look about for a situation— which I found soon after in the form of a foremanship in the printing office of the National Historian, a paper now succeeded by the Belmont Chronicle at St. Clairsville, Ohio. The wages I was to receive for this service were ridiculously small, being less than $300 a year. I ought to have had more, but I despaired of getting it, for printers then thought a dollar a day excellent pay." Of course, we had to make a small beginning. There were but two of us, and in that day and time, people who were quite respectable put up with little furniture and little room. We took a single room on the second floor of what had once been a hotel. All was clean and tidy, and the room, when set to rights, looked about as well as if it had been a room in a hotel where we might have been boarding as i look back to it now i see the sun shining there while the clouds for there were some clouds are all gone but that was a little world of ours that only remains a tender memory we went to st clairsville to live on the first of august 1831 when we had been married but a few weeks we were strangers here and lived pretty much to ourselves In the summer evenings and on Sundays, we took long walks in the country round, enjoyed the fine prospects from the hilltops or the shade of the forests, and altogether made the most of the limited sphere that we filled. As I was only a workman, I had no mental labor to perform in my calling, and therefore found recreation in reading or writing. Mostly in reading aloud some book that was new to both of us, or something that I wished to enjoy over again with her as a listener. The time went by delightfully in our own little nest, and we regarded very little what was of the outside. We made some acquaintances among quiet people, but few intimate friends. Particularly this was the case with myself. I was poor and proud and timid, and such a man is not apt to make friends. In the printing office, I knew those who came with articles to be published or to read the exchanges. Of the politics of that county, I knew but little then. I had come in from another state and only knew the general divisions into Jackson or anti-Jackson men, the former being much the same as the Democrats of the present time. Locally, this division was not so close, as in the fall of 1831, there were seven or eight candidates for the legislature, of whom three were to be elected. The choice was made from the anti-Jackson men. At that time, the Whig Party was not organized, nor till about three years later. In the summer of 1834, the New York Courier and Enquirer, under the management of James Watson Webb, called the anti-Jackson men the Whig Party. The term was immediately accepted and continued to designate that party till it died at a respectable age from the force of circumstances and an unhappy effort to wear a doe face in 1854 just 20 years later. My engagement in St. Clairsville was for one year and only amounted to employment and bread. When that time was out I was not inclined to renew it and my employer, who had bought the paper on a speculation and was a medical man who knew nothing about printing, was exacting and hard to satisfy. He had some other plans in view and did not propose to continue the engagement, really, I suppose, because he could get the work done at less cost by boys. He was a Scotchman, a man of education and a good scholar, practical, with a turn for mechanics and could do almost anything in that way, and indeed there was hardly anything that he would not undertake. He was an avowed materialist, and took especial pleasure in ridiculing all religious ideas, and he was looked upon by the community generally as a terrible fellow. He was a man of taste and extensive reading, and really talented, but extremely lazy and very selfish he had considerable wealth, which he lived upon when he was not making more. The last I knew of him, he was living at Bridgeport, opposite Wheeling, where he put in his time with a little job-printing office, doing any work that came to hand, and letting the world take care of itself. End of Section 10